Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are in the season of Advent, a season in which we join with the prophets in the Old Testament who anticipated the first coming of Christ, and and as we study what they wrote and see how their prophecy was fulfilled at that first Advent when Jesus Christ was born, we join with them and anticipate the return, the second Advent of Jesus our Savior to gather His Flock, the return one day as we see from Micah of a shepherd king to rule and to watch over his people. Now, the last two weeks we've been in Isaiah. We looked at Isaiah chapter 9 two weeks ago and that great promise that there would be a child who was born who would be mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. We also looked last week at Isaiah chapter 7 and the Emmanuel promise that the virgin shall give birth to a child and shall call his name Emmanuel. This morning we look at Micah. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, so he lived around the same time. He prophesied to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So remember we talked last week about those two kingdoms and how they actually had been one kingdom under David and then Solomon and then split around 1050 uh, BC. And so here's Micah and he's got a word from the Lord to both kingdoms. But in this section, in Micah chapter 5 in particular, he is speaking to the kingdom of Judah. And he's saying a lot of the same things that Isaiah was saying, and in particular focusing on something that was going to come about 150 years down the road, and that would be this invasion by this, interestingly enough, this empire that had not yet risen to prominence, the Babylonians. And so Micah, like Isaiah, is giving a warning a prophecy of judgment, actually saying that God is going to come and He's going to judge His people for their sin. And what that's going to look like, in particular for the southern kingdom of Judah, is them being put, sent off into exile. Babylon would come in, uh, God would permit the Babylonians to conquer the people of Judah, and the people of Judah would be sent off into exile. So there, Micah is a prophecy of God's judgment, but it is also at the same time a prophecy of His grace. Not only uh, verse 2, but, but really this whole section, verses uh, 2 through 5, and, and really the book as a whole, contains not just that prophecy of judgment that will come, but that prophecy or that promise of God's grace, that God will not abandon His people forever, that as we see in this passage, there will be a shepherd king that God will provide to rescue His people and be their peace. So, you know, if you know the Christmas story, you know who this is. We, we see over in Matthew chapter 2, Micah being 
reference. So I'm going to just read the first few verses of Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Isn't that amazing? That, that before the birth of Christ, it was so known, Micah was so known, that when people came and said, where is this you know, king to be born? They could reference Micah 5 and say, Bethlehem. So you know the story. We're familiar with the Christmas story. It's very important, though, as we read these passages with which we may be so familiar, to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who were living it. The people who were first receiving this message. Otherwise, it just becomes a, a wonderful reminder of something that's true, that Jesus Christ is the shepherd king who has come and will one day come again. But if we're going to make application in our lives right now, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who heard Micah's message so that we can, we can grow in our reliance upon King Jesus, so that we can recognize the, the promise of grace and the warning that's contained here in Micah in our own lives. So what must it have been like for them? Well, you know, I look at this passage, and there's a phrase that kind of jumps off the page at me as we read it, and that's in verse 3. And it's that last phrase at the end of the first line of verse 3, until the time. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So they've just been told they are going to face a season of suffering, a dark night of the soul. It is going to feel as though God has completely abandoned them until the time that the woman gives birth to the child. The time will come when God will bring a king to rule them, a savior to rescue them, a shepherd to lead them, someone who will be their peace. But until the time, until that time, they would have to wait. They would have to trust that the Lord would keep His promises and they would have to just keep walking through the trial. We can relate to that, can't we? We are in, many of us, a season of suffering. We're experiencing a dark night of the soul. You're, you may be dealing with disappointments, with disruptions, with broken dreams, and it feels as though God has abandoned you and forgotten all about you. It's, it's hard to hold on to the promise that God is with you, to, to wait on the Lord and to just keep walking through the trial, to live with that long obedience in the same direction that the author Eugene Peterson wrote about so many years ago. So what do we do? We need to not just hear about, but know and trust the one to whom Micah points. Of course, it's Jesus. 
There's four things that Micah is going to tell us about Jesus in this text. First, that He is a king to rule you. Jesus is a king to rule you. Second, Jesus is a savior to rescue you. Third, Jesus is a shepherd to lead you. And then finally, Jesus is your peace through every trial. So Jesus is a king to rule you, a savior to rescue you, a shepherd to lead you, and your peace through every trial. So first, Jesus is a king to rule you. Take a look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, one of the ways in which the Bible talks about sin is as rebellion. The natural desire of every human heart is to reject God's rule. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the natural mind is hostile to God. We, we don't want to hear God say, be holy as I am holy. We don't want to hear God say, worship and serve me alone. We, we want to be free. We live in a culture that prizes freedom. The, the only way you know, not only the culture, but honestly our own hearts, tells us that we can be happy is to be free. To be able to make our own rules, to follow our own path. And even as Christians, we still live as though this were true. And, and what's ironic in the saddest possible way is that we were actually created to flourish under God's rule, not apart from it. We grow and flourish with Jesus as King. Apart from God's rule, people are like air plants. You know what little air plants are, right? My wife has got these little air plants in a, a, a window above our sink, and they, they, they really are beautiful, but they're not going to withstand any kind of storm. You know, windows open, the wind starts to blow, the air plants are on the ground in the kitchen, not up there on display. Well, it's like that with people apart from Christ. You know, people do wonderful things, but, but apart from Christ cannot withstand the storm, the trials that we face. We're like the, you know, the flowers that appear for a little while and flourish and then vanish. But in Christ, with Jesus Christ as our King, Christians are like oak trees like sequoias, sequoias, rooted in Christ, rooted in the soil of God's Word, secured by His grace, and consequently able to withstand the storms, all the trials of, of, of life that we face. Psalm 1 talks about it in a wonderful way, that, that a Christian is like a tree planted by streams of water that, that bears fruit in its season and its leaf always flourishes, never fails. It's a picture of a tree that is strong, that is growing, that will never be swept away and utterly lost. That's the beauty of life under God's rule. And again, the sad irony of sin is that the very thing that makes for freedom and flourishing, the very thing that would bring us the greatest fulfillment in our lives is the thing that we're hell-bent to reject. 
And that is the rule of King Jesus over our lives. And, and so my question is, is Jesus your king? Or is he just an advisor in your court? I'll be king. I'll take your advice, Jesus. I want just enough of you to go to heaven when I die and perhaps have good principles for living a happy life. But I don't want you to be king. I don't want you to call the shots. I want to remain on the throne. Charles Spurgeon, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. You never go wrong quoting Spurgeon, right? Spurgeon says this, Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Oh, wow. Who is on the throne in your heart? Have you come to recognize not only how much you need God's grace, but also how much you need His rule and how much you will flourish under His rule? Jesus is a king to rule you. Jesus, secondly, is a savior to rescue you. Now take a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. All right, so this is, this is pointing to that coming judgment upon Judah from God at the hands of the Babylonians and the promise that one day that judgment will end, that the people will be able to return. That um, began to come true about 150 years after the prophecy. After, I'm sorry, after the Babylonians came in. It appeared to be coming true. Persia would conquer the Babylonian Empire, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, would allow the people to begin to return to their homeland. So this was beginning to come true, but as we said back when we were talking about Isaiah, there's always this you know, near and far fulfillment of the prophecies, and so that began to come true when Cyrus let the people of Judah return to their land, but there were other things that weren't true. First of all, there was no reference to a woman giving birth at the time that Cyrus permitted the people to begin to come home. There was no shepherd king that rescued them and led them back into the land. It was just a trickle of people back in. You can go read Nehemiah, for instance, and Ezra. That There wasn't all these people coming to worship Israel's God. There was a temple that was rebuilt. It wasn't anything like the former temple. And there was never actually true freedom from oppressors. The people of Israel never got their king back. They never got their kingdom restored to them. There was, there was always some oppressive regime that was ruling over them. And so there was partial fulfillment, but there wouldn't be final fulfillment until Jesus came on the scene. He would be His people's Savior, not to rescue them from an oppressive regime but from the oppressive power of sin. We talked about this last week in Matthew 1, but let me just read, us, read it for us again in case you didn't catch it last week. In Matthew chapter 1, we read this, verse 18 and following, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the name Jesus. It means 
Savior. He will save His people from their sins. So back in Micah chapter 5, when it says, Therefore He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. That's pointing to Mary. And the salvation that would come would, would not be salvation from Babylonians and the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. It would be salvation from sin and restoration to the kingdom of God. Not just for the Jews, but for all who would put their hope in Jesus Christ. And so it says in verse 4, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the majesty of his name, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This message of the gospel of this great king, who is a savior, is going out even now to the ends of the earth. And the promise of salvation from sin is found in him alone. Jesus is a savior to rescue you. And if you are a Christian, if you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, then you have been saved from the one thing that you would need to fear, and that is the wrath of God for your sin. Jesus is a king to rule you. He is a savior to rescue you. Third, Jesus is a shepherd to lead you. So let's read verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is just one of of many ways in which the Old Testament points to Jesus as the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. No one can snatch them from my hands. Of all the occupations at the time, whether it was the time of Micah or the time of Jesus, shepherding was the most difficult and it was the most personal. A shepherd had to care for his flock all the time. The sheep were completely dependent on their shepherd. They were completely helpless without him. When Jesus, therefore, says that he is the good shepherd, we not only get a sense of who he is and what he does, but do you realize how we get a sense of his commitment to us? I mean, an actual shepherd had to be completely committed to his sheep. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, is saying, I am completely committed to my sheep. I'm committed to their well-being. I'm committed to their protection. I'm com committed to their preservation. I'm committed to their care. Jesus says he knows each of his sheep by name in John chapter 10. That means he knows your past. He knows all your failures and all your pain. He knows what's going on in your heart right now, and knowing all that, He laid down His life for you. Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd to lead you. How should we respond? By following Him. Follow Him comprehensively. Maybe you came to Christ because you were struggling in one particular area of your life. You felt really acutely your need for help. 
could have been overcoming a particular sin pattern in your life that you've, you've come to realize this is sin, this is wrong. I've crossed that line, you know, that the Rubicon. I've realized that I've, I've, I see myself for who I am and I know that if there's a God who exists, the scales will never be in my favor before this holy judge. And so you cried out to Jesus. Or maybe it was in the context of a, a marriage relationship or a parenting a relationship or a friendship and in which you've realized I don't have what it takes and so you cry out to Jesus for help and you've come to see that Jesus is more than just a marriage counselor. He'll be your Savior. Follow Him in every area of your life. Follow Him comprehensively. We need His comprehensive care. As you follow Him in every area of your life and not just where you think you need help, you will experience more of what it means to be a sheep under His loving care. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writes this, concerning the need to give ourselves completely to Jesus and not just parts of Him, of ourselves to Him. Lewis writes this, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, Loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him everything else thrown in. Follow Jesus comprehensively. Second, follow Him unconditionally. We're happy to have Jesus lead us when it feels good to follow Him. But when we wander and He comes and grabs us, it doesn't always feel like the most loving thing for Him to do. But it's at those moments that we need Him more than any other time. And so we need to follow Him unconditionally. In other words, we don't say, Jesus, I'll follow you when it feels good. We say, Jesus, I'll entrust myself to you and follow you always. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus will never lead us into a temptation that's greater for us to bear apart from His help than we could possibly handle. That's the promise we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And God is not the author of evil. He will not lead us there as well, but He will lead us into areas of sanctification. He will lead us into difficulties in order to further refine us. But He's a shepherd who is with us every step of the way. Oh, we're sheep too, and we stray. We create our own problems for ourselves. But we also find that Jesus is with us even then, every step of the way, working to refine us, working to cleanse us, working to purify us, working to make us look more like Him. Tim Keller recounts the story uh, told by Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot talks about being in England and watching shepherds care for their sheep by, get this, dipping the sheep into a vat of insecticide. They don't do that anymore. They did it up until the 90s. 
But what they used to do was actually guide a sheep up this, this boardwalk until they got to the end of the plank and they would just fall off into this vat of insecticide. Now, sheep are dumb, but they're not that dumb. Eventually, they realize, I'm not getting on that plank. And so the, the shepherds had to figure out a way to rig up a, a support system, a, a big belt, if you will, in order to lift them up and set them in. Now, they had to do this because if they didn't, the sheep would get you know, infected, they'd get bit, they'd end up dead in a couple months. But the sheep didn't like the process. Now, in a way analogous to that, the Lord Jesus does allow trials in our life in order to purify us, ultimately in order to protect us. That's what was happening to the people of Judah. Micah was foretelling this. He was prophesying that there would be come in their lives collectively as a nation a great season of difficulty in which God would bring purification and and God brings that in each of our lives as well and so it's in those areas especially in those areas that we need to follow our great shepherd unconditionally comprehensively allowing him to do his work in every area of our lives Jesus is a king to rule us. He is a savior to rescue us. He is a shepherd to lead us. And then finally, Jesus is our peace through every trial. Look at verse 5. He shall be their peace. It's the cry of every human heart. It's what we're looking for ultimately. It's peace. Our lives are not marked by peace apart from Christ. The, the, the reality of the fall, of the entrance of sin into the world, has brought the violation of God's shalom, God's peace. That perfect harmony that existed between man and God, between man and man, man and woman, Adam and Eve, between humanity and all creation, and within our very selves, that perfect wholeness was violated when sin entered the world. Sin is as Cornelius Plantiga defined it, the violation of God's shalom. And what our hearts long for is peace, wholeness. And what Micah is telling us is that he, the one who will come, the one coming from Bethlehem, the one that ultimately wasn't present when God's people came back from Babylon, but the one who would come to rescue his people from sin, he will be the one who brings wholeness. He will bring the one who brings peace. John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is, he will be your peace. In the midst of the trials that you are facing right now, collectively that we're experiencing as a nation during this time of COVID, not just as a nation, but as a world, and the very specific trials that you are experiencing right now that maybe have gone unnamed, through the midst of whatever trial you are facing, Jesus is saying, I will be a king to rule you. And under my loving rule, you will find what it means to flourish. 
Jesus is saying, I will be a Savior to rescue you. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, He will now provide for you the salvation that was secured by Him at the cross and His resurrection. Jesus will be a shepherd to lead you. We look to all kinds of things to lead us, to guide us. We look to our careers. We look to to other people. We look to status in the eyes of the world. We look to having a lot of money in the bank. All these things we think will lead us into green pastures. And Jesus says, I will be the shepherd who leads you into green pastures. And Jesus says, I will be your peace. Put your trust in me. Jesus is a king to rule you. He is a savior to rescue you. He is a shepherd to lead you. And He is your peace in the midst of every trial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are thankful. We're thankful for Your Son, Jesus. We thank You that He is our shepherd king. Lord, we confess that we are like sheep. And we so often wander. We find ourselves harassed and helpless. Help us to remember, O God, that With You, we never are alone. With You, we always are in Your care. With You, we have salvation from our sin and the wrath that we deserve. With You, we have finally a ruler that we can submit to and know what it means to flourish. With You, we have a shepherd who will lead us. And with You, we have what our hearts have always longed for and could never achieve, peace. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.